a striker. He's the type of man my father wanted me to be. Finest man I ever served under. Yeah, I bet they got along just fine together. Both of them with ramrods strapped on their backs. Well, not me. I'm a civilian, not a Marine. They're not gonna strap one on mine. I'm in here strictly for tradition. Light! Light this candle. Camera. Action. Moron. I've got morons on my team. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! We're in the pipe. Five by five. We'll help! Yeah, I'll just fill my pipe! And so it begins. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind. Welcome back, folks, to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men and women. I'm your host, Jeff Muncy, and tonight we bring you that great and fantastic movie, Sands of Iwo Jima, starring John Wayne, John Agar, Forrest Tucker, Wally Castle, James Brown, not that James Brown, um, <laughs> William Murphy, George Tyne, and Richard Webb, and there's a host of many others. But um, joining me tonight for this great and fantastic podcast is my good and dear friend, Ken Saddle Up Roni. You know, my natural dislike for you is turning into a great hatred, Nancy. Beautiful. Stole it! Stole it from me. I should have known. I should have. I should have let in with that. All right. Damn it! Out. <laughs> All right. Also joining me tonight is my good dear friend Brian. Don't get religious on me, Miller. You know, if you're nervous, Jeff, count your toes because I'll do the masterminding around here. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try to work that in, but well played. Thank you. Also joining me tonight is my good and dear friend, Steve. You know, my natural dislike for you turns is turning into a great hatred. I messed that one up. Michaels. Damn it. You know what? If I was John Wayne, you know what? I would have said the private first class Peter Conway. Insubordinate and churlish. <laughs> Present. <laughs> uh, I gotta be careful drinking when you're talking. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was great, Steve. You're welcome. All right. Also, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, joining us again and uh, two two for this week is my good and dear friend Mark. I got a great future for the next couple of hours. Slover. <laughs> you know, they say nobody sets out to get blind, staggering, stinking, falling down drunk. Clearly, they haven't seen Steve in action. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was, I was <laughs> toying with the idea of having that be Steve's in, intro, but um, I like the other one, and then damn it, Ken, Ken Stolwart. Um, yeah. Well played. All right. Well, hello, gentlemen. Yes, this is, um, this is, uh, this is a special request. Our uh, good and dear friend, um, Frank Beecham, 
long, long time supporter of the, of the podcast, uh, author of what we uh, affectionately call the Bitchum Files, which is a detailed synopsis of every episode, um, which includes who was on it, what we drank, the rating we gave, and, and, and actually a host of several other items um, that he presented to us unbeknownst to us one day um, and said, Hey, I've been cataloging this. I want to share this with you. And we were absolutely floored that, that anybody um, was, you know, taking an interest in us to that level, um, which, uh, you know, we, we were, we were humbled by. Um, and, and he has for Steve is, is it eight? Is it eight years or nine years? Um, well, we started in February of 2012, I believe. So we've been okay. doing this eight years now. Eight years. Okay. Yeah. Christ, so, I was in my forties. Getting near that, your 60th birthday. Yeah, um, I'm getting close. Uh, so yeah. So our listener has been, um, gracious, kind enough and, um, and sends us like a monthly update on exactly, you know, what we're, what we're doing. And we, <laughs> we, we said it on the last podcast, and we said it again this week. We turned to the Beecham file. A movie came up, and we saw, there was a spirited discussion back and <laughs> forth. Uh, Steve swore we had done it. I swore we hadn't done it. And uh, the Beecham file said, well, we hadn't done it. Uh, so uh, we, that may be something we'll get. I don't want to spoil which movie it is, because uh, I, I think it's. I think we'll have a lot of fun with it. Um, but but anyway, so um, but our... Um, our, our, our dear friend Frank had suggested, uh, had mentioned this movie, and it's one that we have talked about for quite some time. So uh, we decided that we would uh, we would review this 1949 classic um, directed by Alan Dwan and written by Harry Brown and James Edward Grant. Um, nominated for four Academy Awards. Uh, didn't win any of them. Uh, but he it was nominated for like the big uh, the big four. Um, got passed over on all four accounts. Um, but this uh, the, the 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 movie is uh, takes place uh, uh, prior to and including the Battle of Iwo Jima in World War II. Um, it is basically a uh, it it shows you the inside and outside of the life um, in boot camp and training and going to war um, during that period of time, uh, wrapped up in the Pacific uh, theater. And um, you have the sergeant um, striker who's played by John Wayne, and he is um, he's a platoon sergeant training the men to uh, to go off to war and to and to hopefully survive it. And as you can imagine, um, it's not a love fest by him. I mean, he's here to get a job done, and uh, and and then you get to see the interworkings of um, of the operation that he is running. So, gentlemen, um, this is you know, like I said, 1949. This we, offline we were talking. And I think you know it's well worth mentioning, Brian, that you know this this was a. You know, this is a lot closer to the silent era of films than it is to current day. And, you know, and, you know, and we, you know, you can see that there's been a great evolution in film um, up to the point in 1949. And then, of course, since 1949. So we're going to review this 
just as and keeping in the in the right frame of mind that uh, this movie was filmed in the 1940s that and therefore we're we're not going to talk about things like this doesn't stand up over time you know we're going to stick to the details of the movie and the ex- execution of it and uh, and try not to bring in our um, you know contemporary view of of film so with that um Brian what say you about this great fantastic movie? Well, I, I know you said that we weren't going to bring in our contemporary view of film, but uh, actually this movie was maybe a little innovative in that it did have real scenes from the war interspersed throughout the movie. Uh, but getting back, Sands of Mujiwa is considered literally a classic World War II movie. I mean, I, it may be the iconic World War II movie, to be perfectly honest. Uh what I always find intriguing and unbelievable about that time is that so many of the people that play in these movies fought in the war or were in the war in one form or fashion. Uh, that goes all the way up through the, like, the early 60s. Uh, but uh, to this day, you see a lot of the things. You see this movie and you go, well, that's so cliche. Well, the cliche started here, dude. I mean, you know, it wasn't a cliche until after this freaking movie. So you look at all these other movies like, yeah, this guy was like this. He was a scumbag private that he decided he's going to reenlist. Yeah, I saw that Heartbreak Ridge. No, Heartbreak Ridge got this from Sansville Chima. So what I want to say is this movie is an iconic movie. It has the Duke in it. I love the guy. I mean, yeah, I know somebody here's, you know, he was going to talk about Eastwood being God. And I love Eastwood. I do. I really do. But this is the, this is probably literally the iconic World War II movie. Um, and I'll, I'll just let it go at that. So Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, th- well, thanks, Brian. Yeah, I think um, even, even I am cautiously optimistic that uh, the, the, the utterance of Clint Eastwood will not be brought up after – after the, my last utterance of it, uh, but um, but you know, Brian, I, I just want to I want to say as I'm watching this, and this is I can't say it's my first viewing, but basically it's my first viewing. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I watched this when I was a youth, uh, and what I kept drawing parallels to was the Band of Brothers and the sense of the progression of the story that you know we're we're seeing this group kind of trained and. And being trained and um, um, and then taken off to war. Um, and and I, I found there was a lot of parallels there. And, and so, you know, you, you were talking about how, you know, there was a lot of references later on. A lot of movies owe their, um, you, know, you know, kind of owe their thanks to this movie. And I, I feel like the Band of Brothers, in, in a way, kind of follows the same sort of formula. Well, what, one important thing I'll mention, and I'll let everybody go about this movie, is they interspersed in this movie a lot of people who fought in this. And this is about essentially the flag being raised over Mount Suribachi is really what this this is, you know, what it gets to. And a lot of the people that are in this movie, you Lieutenant uh, uh, Schroer, you know, all these names, uh, Colonel uh, Shoup, were people who were there. And, uh, and so this movie leads up to that very iconic event. Uh, and, uh, so I think, and again, 
a lot of the folks interspersed here. You, by the way, you could absolutely tell who the actors were and who weren't the actors. It was very easy, <laughs> including that freaking Major Cross with that stylely whiplash uh, mustache. <laughs> uh, but you can tell who the actors were and who they weren't. But it's really about it's about the culmination of, of Battle of Iwo Jima, and, yeah. and it has some of the same players. So I'm done for now because I've got a lot more historians around here than me, and they'll they'll get into it much deeper than I will. So, all right. Well, thank you, Brian. Um, Ken, what say you? <clears throat> I have seen this before, but like you, I saw it ages ago when I was a kid. <clears throat> I've commented several times on other reviews that you know when I was a kid. Movies like this were on TV all the time. They're there in the you know afternoon. They're there Saturday night. You know they're you know, they they Channel Four, the local independent station, would run them all the time because they were cheap and free. Basically, they didn't have to pay much, and people loved them. They watched them. I mean, you know, I grew up you know in sixties and seventies. I'm an old fart, so. You know, my neighborhood was full of veterans. I mean, they 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 knew what this was. This is an old fashioned look at you know. I would say it's a, a more patriotic, simpler time. <clears throat> uh, I'm sure the real life and motivation of most Marines may not have been as pure and flag wavery as this was, but I also bet there's a lot that were. Uh, the idea that people were lugging around flags just to raise a flag somewhere is shown up in this movie several times, and that was a real thing. I mean, I, I've read a lot of accounts. Guys would be lugging around these flags or mementos for some purpose like that. <clears throat> uh, another thing that I'll note uh, before we go into actors and everything else, because again, we're, we're going to try to judge this fairly, but I, I, I do have to throw in more recent references, but I've got just a couple. One, we've already referred to the fact, both for authenticity, I believe, and also because it was cheap filmmaking, this movie makes a lot of use of actual black and white action photos. Sometimes it's just a shot of action going on. Sometimes they superimpose the actors on you know a background. Um, and since it's all filmed in black and white, it works. It's nice. I, being a you know, history buff and so I'm an equipment buff, kind of got off on the you know real life equipment, the technologies, and things like that. Tanks, airplanes, all that stuff being real and uh, contemporary. Uh, a minor thing that I've always had an interest in is the lost art of naval dazzle camouflage schemes which this movie displayed well which i thought it's kind of cool i mean i enjoyed that stuff but this is a movie like brian said despite you know with all this stuff about it i don't think they spent a lot of money or time putting it together it's a simple story story of a rifle squad going through action it's sanitized it doesn't have you know, gore and blood and guts like a modern movie will. And my final comment would be if you are a modern viewer and you want more contemporary views of this and this the, the this general theme, two recent shows that 
I will recommend are Flags of Our Fathers and uh, the HBO miniseries The Pacific. I know The Pacific gets some negative reviews from some people, but I think it does a, a good story overall of showing what it was like to be a Marine out in the Pacific. So I'll hand this off to Jeff. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Ken. Well said. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I'm glad you uh, brought up some comparison movies that we could look at now and, um, and uh, along with the same theater of war. So thank you. All right. Um, Steve, is this your first viewing? Oh, hell no. Okay. No, Box. I've, <clears throat> no, I've seen this movie probably a half a dozen times. Um, okay. And I mean, I like it, but, um, it, it's probably not my favorite World War II movie from that period. Um, or particularly what I would say it's probably my least favorite one that John Wayne was in. But I will say something that Brian uh, had brought up earlier, and I think it's it's pretty um, important to to mention is the fact that he said it's like all the movies you say, oh, this is all cliched. He's right. There's a lot of cliches in this movie, and I think one of them is you know the you, you got the one guy who's the rebel of the group that then. I, and I shouldn't even do spoilers because of course this movie's like half a century old. So, um, you know, he's a, he's a rebel. Um, but at the end he's all about the, all about the Marines and all about going forward. And, uh, one other thing too, that I should point out is that it's kind of interesting because this was made in, um, was it 48 or 49? So you already had that. Um, kind of that rebellious attitude where I think we look back at that period of time where everybody was, everybody was pretty obedient. They pretty much respected authority, but I don't think things really changed all that much. You still had, you know, you still had people like, you know, Private Conway, who, despite his background, was, was a rebel, you know, uh, he was like, you know, and, and, and almost kind of like that elitist thing. I'm going to be an educated person. I'm not going to be like my father. You know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a Marine. I'm going to be somebody who's educated. So there was all, even then they were almost like putting this, uh, uh, I'm better than you because I've got an education, even though you're a, military person like they're just nothing but mindless grunts or something so i thought that was kind of interesting that they really pushed that um but then the flip side is is that back you know back during world war ii evidently you met a girl at a dance and you got married the next day you fell in love that quick so um, that actually happened a lot <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure it did i'm sure it did I guess a lot of guys just were not into the quick one. They just wanted to make sure they were legitimate before they went off to war. So, all right. So I, again, I, it's, this is, this is one of those movies for me where it's like, I enjoy it, but it's not my favorite John Wayne movie um, or my John Wayne world war two movie. And I, I, I don't, and I know this is blasphemy, and I know I'm going to get a lot of shit from it, but I, like I said, I don't hold him in the same reverence that um, 
<clears throat> many of you others do. I don't, you know, he is, he is no Clint Eastwood. Let's just say that. But, um, ah, but there, there it is. There, there, there it is. is. <laughs> you got a gong or something you could play or whatever. I, I, I will, <laughs> I will, I will include something in there for the obligatory Clint Eastwood. There you go. By you. Yes. No, but it's no, it, the thing is, don't get me wrong, guys. I mean, I do like John Wayne. I, I, there are, a few of his movies that I do truly, truly do enjoy. Uh, the Searchers, I think, is probably my all-time favorite John Wayne movie ever. But, you know, this one here, eh, you know, I just, it just, I don't know. It just, he almost, it was almost too contrived in terms of just his acting and everything like that. It just, it, it was almost like he was reading off a script or off of a cue card. Um as opposed to some of the other movies I've seen him in, but uh, I, but again, I did enjoy the movie, uh, and yeah, I love the uh, the camouflaged uh, battleships and destroyers was pretty awesome. Uh, so you got to see, and that's the other thing too, is that this movie was uh, there was a lot of uh, stock footage here from the actual battles that took place. So, well, well, thank you, Steve, yep. and. Uh, just, just so everybody knows, The Searchers is a Western, not a World War II movie. All right. Um, yeah, I know you. that. I was just oh, okay. saying that was a my my because I know I'm not a I'm not a big John Wayne fan, but I, that is probably one of my top ten movies. I love The Searchers. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Well, Steve, just to, as a follow-up um, to the prosecution here, um, mm-hmm. do you? What is your favorite John Wayne World War II movie? If it's not this one, the Fighting. I'm C- glad you asked because I was curious. The Fighting Seabees. Okay, fair oh, enough. Cool. That's right. That's fine. I just wanted to get that out there. That may be something that we could look at doing further on down the line. All right. Thanks, Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark. Welcome back, and uh, what are your thoughts on uh, this? I know this is not your first viewing, so no. uh, what are your thoughts on this movie? Well, first off, Jeff, let me say thank you for allowing me to be to back clean up so that the heretic was not <laughs> allowed to. There was some strategy yeah. in my line of fight. <laughs> yes, I shall not pass. <laughs> Mark is cut off. We can't hear Mark, him. Mark, you're cut off. Better? Uh, yes. Better, yes. Um, the witch burning with the heretic will occur post-show. <laughs> if anyone would like to join us, you, we will invite you to our Skype conversation where we will burn the witch. Um, that that will be an extra bonus. Uh, and we will we will douse him in corn liquor and then set him afire. Um in any you case, mean, back you mean hobo to, juice, Mark. Hobo, hobo juice. juice, yes, yeah. because he is a hobo. Um, <laughs> he's he's also left the podcast, and he's left the podcast because he doesn't want to be berated any further. Um, yeah. You know this this movie is a love letter to the Marines. What? Um, the Marines gave it full one thousand percent back. Oh, jeez. <laughs> he's wearing, folks. You can't see the visual <laughs> image, but Steve is wearing oh. his. What we lovingly call the low pandemic um, for uh, Big Trouble in Little China. He's wearing his low pandemic um, face mask. Yeah, and it is, uh, it's a death's head. Very, so. very similar to uh, the Gimp. And, um, yeah. 
fiction. But, uh, yeah. He's 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 kind of the gimp. Well, he's a half sorry. of the gimp. He's anyway, awesome. it's a love letter to the Marines. I mean, the Marines, as you can see in the movie, gave this full backing. Where they filmed it, the equipment, the Amtraks. Uh, you even have three of the um, uh, Suribachi flag raisers in cameos at the end of the movie. And I, if you were going to get to this trivia, I'll just mention it as part of my comments. The flag they pull out, the little one, was given to them by the Marine Corps Museum to use. It mm. was the original flag. It was the first flag, not the big one. Wow. It was a small one. They gave that to them for this movie. That's how much of a love letter to the Marines this movie is. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Um, I think that's, in a lot of ways, what makes this movie work in a technical aspect. Um, you know, we talked about the tropes. So I'm not going to dwell on it except for one thing. This movie... I don't know where it was born, but it was not born in this movie because the officers had their shit tied down tight. You didn't see a second lieutenant being stupid. You saw a second lieutenant get nervous, but we never had the, geez, everybody knows you're the second lieutenant, sir. You're the one with the map and the binoculars. Um, we didn't have that trope, so I don't know where that got born. But all the others we've touched on, they were there. Um, and that's not a, they weren't tropes. They, that was just, Everybody looked at this and said, this is a template. Let's use it. Uh, some people may wonder why it was done in black and white. Quite simply, it's because of the combat footage. Um, you, you couldn't do color. You did have some color combat footage, but I think there was obviously much more black and white um, combat footage. And I will say, unlike the movie Midway, not the recent one, I haven't seen that, but the 1970s Sense Around, um, they really did a thoughtful job of using appropriate combat footage. You know, they had the appropriate aircraft, hell divers, the, the ships, they, they had Iwo Jima Saipan. You, you were seeing actual combat footage from those battles. And that was interwoven, I thought, very well to give this a level of authenticity. And secondly, I was very impressed, especially with the beach assault scenes, both both beach assault scenes. They really spent some money getting that right. The bunkers, the beaches. Hell, even the, the, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. These were not dirt clot explosions. Um, you know, the flamethrowers. Technically, this movie stands up and it much better than a lot of other movies that came after it. And I would say um, one other thing, and Ken referenced the Pacific. Um, if you're familiar with the, with the Medal of Honor winner, John Bassalone, um, he won the Medal of Honor at Guadalcanal. He's featured in the Pacific, um, and he dies in Iwo Jima. I, throughout this movie, I could not help but think that Sergeant Stryker was patterned after after Bazelone. Um, wow. Can I uh, jump in just a second? You know, yeah, that's kind of where I was just going to wrap up. I'm just going to say, you know, uh, Sergeant Bazelone, his full name was John M. Bazelone. Uh, Paduk's character was John, John M. M. Stryker. Yeah. So wow. was, he, was he ripped off from Bazelone? 
I'm not going to say exactly. Yeah. They are different personalities, but I think that they, when they started writing the script, I think they were visualizing those two characters being the same. And if you watch the Pacific and watch this, a lot of the archetypes of how Basilone trained his men in the Pacific, the movie, the miniseries, um, are very much what you see here of, I have to be tough because the enemy's going to be tougher. Um, so I, again, this was an homage to the Marines and that's not a bad thing. And I think if some of us, one last comment that just struck me, I remember when Top Gun came out back in the eighties and we're going to have Top Gun too. Uh, that was like the greatest recruiting movie for the United States Navy. And this probably was a very good recruiting movie for the Marines as well. Um, and that's not a bad or good thing. It's, it, it summed up a period and people were very proud of what had occurred, you know, and, um, Iwo Jima was a defining moment for the Marine Corps. So I, I, I find the movie well done within the context of what it is. Um, and yeah, there's some cheesy acting and there's some stage scenes and some painful things to our sense. And it's a bit corny at times, but it, it's honest in its passion for the subject matter and i think it treats it very respectfully and wayne does a very good job um of of he and tucker i think forrest tucker do very good jobs in this this movie of carrying it so um all in all a good a, a good addition to man cave movie review and i look forward to further discussions you know, mark real quick you mentioned how the technical aspects are really well done i i was i was watching the terrible scene but mm -hmm. the, the, the track landing vehicles. Yeah. And Terra was for the first time they, they actually introduced the LVT twos with the, with 37 millimeter on it. That was yep. in the scene. And I'm yeah, like, it was. wow. I go, wow. That's amazing. Well, and the other thing real quick, I was surprised about when you mentioned the combat footage, there's some graphic stuff in some of the combat footage they kept in there. There's, there's some things that. I was kind of surprised for the 1940s, 50s censors that they let through, but I think it was because people had seen it in the theaters because you saw these movie reels before movies of this is what's happening on the front with the boys. So I, I think that they let it slide because of that. And it was not gratuitous. It was there to drive the narrative. You know, because otherwise, you know, this is that old school Cinema, you know, cinema, where when a marine dies, he just sort of like slumps over. Yep. You know, there's no gore, there's no blood, there's no explosions. It's just you're hit and down you go. Yep. Uh, and that's ah. just the way it is. Yeah, it might clutch his chest. Yep. But that was the standard in Hollywood for decades. There was a bullet hole in the head of one guy, just for the record. So yeah. But the the back of his skull was very intact just for the record, so. <laughs> all right well thank you gentlemen good intros we've mentioned john wayne and this character has some depth to it um this is not just simply a drill sergeant doing his job this is and, and, and to a point it's not just about the drill sergeant um it's about um or the sergeant in charge the um everybody here has there's more stories here to each person. It, it seems to flush out just 
the characters a little bit more. There, there is the town scenes. There's, um, there's the there's the um, brotherly camaraderie between them. There's the war scenes. You're you're kind of getting a whole picture of of what the life was like for these guys during this time. Um, often in, in, in a lot of movies, we see, you know, we just see them on the front lines or we see them in just the training. We see them in a very singular environment. But this, to me, seemed to bring kind of the, the whole person, not just the, the soldier, but the individual themselves kind of into focus a little more. Uh, Brian, what did you think about the interactions um, outside of the war footage between uh, John Wayne and the um, and, and the people that he was um, he was training? Well, I mean, there's always the you know the attention of the the, the aloofness between. Uh, first off, you know, you know Forrest Tucker's character mentions at the beginning of the movie when he'd last seen him, he was a sergeant major, which basically he was a battalion major. You know, was, he was a battalion sergeant. And he'd been busted all the way down to a sergeant of a squad. I mean, that's some serious busting down, by the way. <laughs> uh, and uh, and you began to see what had happened in his life, despite all of that. Because he was this, uh, I mean, his family life was a wreck. He had hung in there as a Marine, but he maintained this separation between himself and, and his, his wards, if you will, uh, that you know, ideally that the sergeant would do. And he was their taskmaster. Uh, he uh, he loved them, but he couldn't tell them he loved them, if that makes any sense. But that makes a lot of sense. I thought he did a really good job of portraying that schism, that divide that a sergeant generally will have between him and, and those men, again, that are under his charge. So I actually thought it was very well done, and I and it's the prototype, you know, you know, historically it's kind of the prototype of, of what that character has been like from that forward. But at the same time, I, I don't know if John Wayne made this up. I don't think he did. I think that was what Sargent did, at least you know. And uh, so I, you know, I, 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 uh, I don't think it was news to anybody if that makes any sense. But I thought he represented it well. Okay. Well, thanks, Brian. Ken, uh, I got a question for you. What What was your thoughts uh, about um, about the um, uh, about the supplementary stuff regarding um, you know outside of the fighting scenes, outside of the barracks? You know, them interacting with each other, the interplay between themselves outside of Sergeant Stryker. Any thoughts about that side of the movie? Well, they did, from the get-go, they introduced several other characters and established them as different roles. I think Forrest Tucker was going to be, again, he's he's the guy that knew Stryker and nursed a grudge and, you know, was going to resist, you know, at all costs all through. He just wanted to undermine his authority. Uh, you had Agar's character, who we've commented on before, who's like, you know... The, the Ivy League snob who's too good for all this and who's, you know, both rebelling and and uh, following his family's military history. Um, you had those t- two guys that just kept fighting over everything just for no reason. Brothers. <laughs> They're brothers, yeah. But I thought the Sullivan incident broke that thing up. But I 
maybe the Marines didn't do that. I think they didn't have brothers in the same unit back in those days, the late war. Uh, you had, you know, uh, the, the the one guy that, like, knew Stryker from before and thought of him as fair. And then you had, you know, a variety of other characters. And, you know, I think all these movies, all of these uh, World War II, during World War II and after World War II, they always had that cast of characters, and there's always the conniving New Yorker type in every squad. <laughs> and, and yeah, they, they had him. He was there. And, you know, they always connived their way through the end. Uh, they always seem to live. But they're but, lovable. They're but they're lovable. always lovable. They're lovable. But they're always looking for that angle. Sort of like a Don Rickles in Kelly's Heroes. Yep. He, he was going to be everybody's agent. Whether yeah. it's a boxer or a Hollywood star, he was going to be their agent. Yes, make money off them. Uh, but yeah, they did a good job of showing a lot of interactions between them. They are kind of sanitized and such by our, you know, views today, at least my views. But I thought they did a good job of establishing the characters and having the interplay back and forth, and in some cases, resolving issues. Uh, the scenes in Honolulu uh, on leave were funny. I mean, there's some laughs in there. There's also some pretty sad social commentary lurking around in there, which Very I was sad. I was actually watching this going like, I don't remember that. That's kind of depressing to see that whole scene. Oh, gee. Uh. But uh, I think you know the ones I'm talking about. I'm yep. shocked it made it in the movie, Ken. I, uh, well, yes. I mean, double, triple, quadruple entendre everywhere, but uh, anyways, no, I thought it was good uh, because you can't just have a movie like this where they're just in combat all the time. That wasn't what the Marines were about. The idea was you, you know, we invade an island and then we have to go back and rebuild the squad and recoup and replenish and then we train up and go back and invade another island. It was a very weird, harsh kind of combat. Wasn't at all like you would see like, let's say in you know, France. I mean, you know, guys that landed at D-Day, if they lived, they fought like every day for, what, nine months to a year in the Pacific. You know, you would land, and I think like, Okinawa took, you know, Peleliu took maybe a month each time. They took a while, but it wasn't months, it was weeks. That was a long battle in the Pacific, but it was extremely intense fighting, very close-in fighting. And you got a taste for that, and especially in those uh, Tarawa scenes. Again, that that Tarawa set with the trenches and bunkers and minefields and seawalls and explosions—that was, a, you know, gave the impression you're in a very, you know, lots of fighting in a very small place. And, you know, you, you turn your back, and all of a sudden there's you know half a dozen Japanese popping up at you. you know, and that's that's from everything I've read. That's the way Tarawa was. Yeah, Ken, it was it was truly it was a, it was a different type of war. Um, but, uh, Mark, I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. what what were your thoughts about the whole? Um, do, do you feel that uh, Stryker was trying to chase redemption? Do you try salvation? What were your thoughts on? Um, his his arc throughout the movie regarding him and his relationship with his son. 
Yeah, that's an interesting question because the sun plays off stage the whole time. You, you, there's no, there's no, there's just references to trying to communicate with his ten-year-old son, and that he made some life choices that drove his wife and son away from him, but they really don't go into detail. Um, and it, it's an interesting character arc because here's this tough as nails sergeant who is just tough as nails and then they get liberty and you know his guardian angel his the corporal i can't remember the character's name um it's like are you really going to do this again every time we have liberty you go on a bender um and i you know and then it again it happens um this is a guy who i think he's haunted by his demons and you know, he, he had two choices. He could either, he, his family was the core or his family was his family. And, you know, obviously his family, even with setbacks, is the core. Um, but that still haunts him. Those decisions still haunt him. And I think that also, in a very, there, there's a sub-theme in this movie. I think that's why he's trying to engage with John Agar pardon me, and why he's treating these guys in a certain way. Because there is a gentleness and a kindness, and there is a humor as he starts to bond with them. That I think, like a father, you know, as I've said to my son, um, you know, I, you got lots of friends. You've only got one father. I'm not, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to be your dad. Um, you know, and our, our relationship has changed as he's gotten older, of course, and, you know, that that should happen if you've hopefully done your job right. And I think that's what he's the, the, the arc is in this movie is he's trying to be a father in various ways and different characters are the different facets of fatherhood. You know, Agar's the rebellious one. Um, the twins are those, the, the two brothers or two kids you have that are just goofy. Marty Milner, who makes an appearance in the movie. Um, it is the aw shucks, the, the little brother you don't, you want to protect. So I think in a very rambling way that I'm trying to make a point is I think the subtext here is that Stryker is trying to be the father to these guys that he couldn't be to his, um, own son. And it plays out at the end when he's really proud of him right before, um, they're supposed to go up to Suribachi and, some of them make it and some of them don't. And some of it's a little ham handed, but I think there's a lot of subtlety too to the, to the whole father son relationship. Um, and that plays out with Agar. Um, plays out the we, Polish guy too. Right plays out the Polish guy. Yeah. And there, my favorite scene is, I think it's the Polish guy. It's the bayonet drill. That's my favorite scene in the movie. It's a great um, scene. And we'll get to that. But he does care about these guys, and he's very conflicted, and he's very tortured. Um, so I think he's realized that, you know, especially he's been to Guadalcanal. He knows how bad things are. Um, if I can't see my own son, I'm going to try and make sure these guys get back to, to be able to be fathers, um, even if it kills me. Um, because the letter, at the end, there's this letter to his son that's very poignant. That's not, uh, not completed. Um, and it's very reminiscent of some letters if you read during the Civil War. 
Um, it, it, it's kind of a how to how, the kind of man I want you to be, even though I haven't been that man. Um, so it's very touching at the end. Yes, the end kind of caught me off guard. Yeah. I I did not I did not see that coming. Steve, what are your thoughts regarding that? Did did that by chance take you out of the movie, or what? Are your thoughts about that whole story arc with him and and his relationship between his son off screen and the guys he's trying to train. <laughs> It didn't take me out of the story, and I don't know if I, honestly, I don't know if I actually made it that type of connection where um, these guys are, like, supposed to be the replacements to his son. I always, I kind of bought into the fact that the reason he got divorced is that he was married to one thing, and it was a Marine Corps. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he had one job, and it was to train Marines. And he truly didn't have time for anything else. And that's why he got divorced. And that's why he couldn't see his son. And it's not to say he didn't love his wife, didn't love his son, but it's, I think it, the thing was his, um, I mean, his, his true love was the, was the Marine Corps. And that's all he had time for. And, um, so I did, I, I didn't see it as, him like trying to uh make up for like not spending time with his son it's like this is my job i've got to train these guys i've got to um you know i've got to get them prepared for what they're going to see because i know what they're going to go up against and 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 a lot of it is you know in a way and, and we'd have to go back to the beach and files but i'm pretty sure we did heartbreak ridge right Yes. Yeah. Yes, and and I, it's almost in a way I I almost feel like Heartbreak Ridge is kind of like this modern sequel to this movie in, in a way yep. about yeah. how you know it's you know it, it, it's almost kind of mirroring uh in a way uh you know Clint Eastwood's I brought it up again Jeff see how I did yeah, that you did. see, see what okay. I did I, I see that yeah <laughs> see, you, you, you you bring Clint Eastwood back to connect with John Wayne who was the original I see this yeah right. go because with it. because the problem is Clint Eastwood could only stand in the shadow of John Wayne as a sergeant. Oh, <laughs> shots fired. Oh, boy. I like to pour more shots go. fired. I'm getting get my mask <laughs> back fired. on. Oh shit. Uh, oh, and and so it begins. Don't don't throw don't slow pitch me, Michael. Don't slow pitch me. <laughs> no, but it's it's I think it's kind of that concept. It's like, you know, you've got these guys that are like born warriors. And that's kind of like what, you know, strikers role was he's like i you know i'm a warrior um and it's i think it's and i hate to say this and i know it probably sounds terrible but i think it's like these guys that are true career military this is their life it's kind of like oh i think that you know in my spare time i'm going to have a wife and a a family but my true and, and and I'm not saying that just military. I mean, I think that could be in any career where it's like whatever it is, whether it's a military or a business or whatever, that is your focus. And then your family or whatever is like your – it's like a sideshow. I totally agree. Yeah. And I think that's what happened with him. It's like, oh, I mean – it's not like he doesn't love his wife and his child, but it's like I really love the Marine Corps a lot more. And I, 
I could see somebody be, yeah. being more passionate in the military, though. Yeah. Than in a business life. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and and like I said, I'm not just I'm not trying to single out you know military life that way, but it's but I think it is. It's like you know in a way, I think the guys that go into the military, especially the guys that are doing it for a career. I mean, it's got to be a calling. Because that is not an easy life. It is not an easy life if you want to raise a family. You know, because especially if you're, I mean, you're traipsing around the world. Um, you're in, you know, well, I mean, we've been almost in a like, constant state of warfare for the last almost 20 years. So it's not, it, it is not an easy life. It is not an easy life if you want to raise a family. So, well, and think well, back, well, well, think, think back well, then. You know, we have mass communication. Yeah. We can Skype, you can Zoom, you can text. You know, if he was an old China hand, if he was in the Marines, he was either in the U.S. or he was in China or he was in Central America or he was on one of the islands. So if he was rotating around a lot, he wasn't around his family. Well, I, I mean, Jeff's a teacher here, and I, I right. think he can tell us how much he begins to love his kids. Imagine if you're a guy... If you're a drill sergeant, particularly, and all these new kids keep coming along, and you know, Jeff, I'm sure you learn to love these kids just teaching them. These are guys that put their lives in your hands. Not all of them. Can you? Well, yeah. (laughs) Can you you imagine though how you feel about these guys? I mean, you're you're trying to separate to save their lives, but you love them because you're leading you're leading them into death. It's it's not like you're giving them class lessons. I mean. I, I the, the the passion and the emotion that's wrapped up into that, and then you try to have a family on top of it. Wow, how do you do that? How do you spread yourself that thin? You know, you know that that's I. I'm going to touch on Band of Brothers real quick because you know, that that very first episode to me is it. It's far more important than I think um, a, a number of people I've talked to give it credit for because. You know, you, you have Strobel, who, you know, who is, you know, an incredible hard ass, who pushes everybody to the absolute limit. And it, the result of what he does throughout the movie sticks with them, or the TV, or the miniseries, sticks with them. And they rely on it, they, they refer back to it, and it's what gets them through the war. But even with that, he, he was a jackass, but you could tell that he absolutely cared about those guys and he wanted them to be the best um you know part of it for you know you know whatever you know his glorification or part of it just because he took pride in that and he was going to make them the best he possibly could and 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 i got a sense that that is you know what they built strobel on in a sense i mean i know that strobel was a real character and and he you know that that's what he did but you know, there was a lot of parallels between that character and John Wayne's character in this movie. You know, he wanted the best for them. He wanted them to survive. He wanted them to have all the tools necessary because he knew what war looked like. And it was hell. And he, he wanted them to be able to come out on the other side. And, and he, and at the same time, you, you know, as, a, as there's, as their officer, you, you could not, you, you had to give off a certain persona. And, and I think it did an interesting job of trying to show both both worlds for him. Um, unlike, you know, gunnery Sergeant, uh, um, Hartman Hartman, um, you know, he, who, 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 there was no two sides to him. There was one side and that was it. 
Um, and so I, I, I felt that, that that dichotomy was very important. And subsequently, you know, you, you, you had that kind of mold set um, for other movies to kind of to fall back on. So, gentlemen, what was your what was your favorite scene or moment in this show? Uh, Ken, let's go back to you. What was your favorite favorite part of this movie? There was a lot of scenes. You know, I, I got thinking about this before the show. Going like, okay, what what would I say is my favorite? And the one I'm gonna say, I mean, it's just a sort of a takeaway scene, and it's at Iwo Jima. It's towards the end, and it's I like it just because it's it just strikes me as like both wrong and right by my standards and what I understand and everything. And that's the scene where, you know, the guys are pinned down. They got the mission. They're trying to get to some place, but there's that bunker and the bunker's got a couple machine guns. It's perfectly situated. And they just go like, as John Wayne's character to let it, it's just like, it's the attitude was like, Oh, well, well, can't do anything now. Let's just, kick back and take it easy for a while. Maybe, you know, <laughs> and the one guy, the, the New York guy goes like, Hey, I can work an angle. I can go get a bazooka and we can take this out. <laughs> so, so he, he goes, okay, go, go see if you can buy a bazooka. And, but the guys are just like, they're just, you know, if they had cheese, they'd be catching rays and eating cheese. I mean, <laughs> uh, they're just taking it yeah. easy. And then up comes that Sherman, and the Sherman, you know, with the New York guy back in the back with a little telephone they have in the back of Sherman's. He's telling him where to go. And Sherman rolls up and just, you know, just irresistibly just unleashes with a flamethrower Sherman. So it unleashes this torrent of fire on the bunker. And in a second, that whole thing is a massive pile of flames, you know. Everybody in that bunker just died a horrible, horrible death. And the guys all just get up and go, hey, we can keep going now. There's a really good mood and slapping backs and everything. And on one hand, my modern sensibilities is like why they killed those poor Japanese in that bunker. They died horribly. They didn't even, those Japanese didn't have a chance. Well, the Jap- you know, the Marines didn't have a chance when it was just machine guns in a bunker against them. So <laughs> it was a dog. It was a view of the just the we win, you lose nature of that fight. That and Iwo, all those Pacific islands were like that. There was very little consideration of well, what about the feelings and the culture and the humanity of my opponents? No, it's like <clears throat> they're to be eradicated. But in that scene, just the way they just rolled up. And effortlessly took out that bunker because when they first saw it, you're going like, "Oh my, this, this is going to be tough." They, you know, can they flank it? Can they do this? Can they do that? Well, no, the tank just sort of rolled up over the hill, <laughs> massive flames, done. And then, you know, they went back to you know, get some coffee or something. I don't know what they did after, <laughs> but that 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 was a scene to me that just symbolized the both the good and the bad because. There is a thing, again, I, I've never been in the military, but I've read a lot about what it's like. From what I understand, when you have guys in combat, and they've been going, and their adrenaline's pumping, and you know they're facing death at any instance, and then you give them that 
short reprieve. We're like, okay, now you're in cover. The enemy can't get you, and you can't do anything. You may as well just chill. I know that that's what a lot of troops will do. They'll just kick back and sleep or you know, whip up a meal or something. They're not going to sit there and say, like, no, Sarge, we got to keep going. Well, maybe they will, but in this case, they sure did. John Wayne took charge, and he said, we're just going to sit here until somehow somebody else takes care of that pillbox for us. So, you know, long tirade on that scene, and it was sort of a throwaway scene. Certainly was not important, except for the fact to show, well, sometimes a little technology works. John Wayne did that throughout the movie, by the way. Remember Tarwa? He said they're smoking a cigarette, waiting waiting for orders, you know? I think that's part of the deal. You know, just wait for orders. Brian, what were your thoughts uh, about your favorite scene in the movie or moment? Well, it's funny, Jeff. When you said that, you actually sent a text out asking that question. And when you sent it, I just... Spoiler alert! No, no, no. It's not a big deal. I mean, because... You got to understand my progression here. We don't do that on this podcast, do we? No. Let me explain this. When you said that, I'm thinking, like, it's that scene with John... Well, first of all, I thought it was the Polish scene where he taught the guy how to dance with the bayonet. Awesome scene. Then I'm thinking like, oh wait a minute! I love that scene where he and he and uh, Forrest Tucker duking it out, and then and then they reach an understanding. Great scene. Then they're going up Mount Sirabachi, and it looks like something out of freaking Mordor, with the flamethrowers in the back, the tank flames in the background. They're going up the hill. It's like fire and it's hell and brimstone everywhere. And then they reach the last scene where they read the freaking letter. And I'm bawling like a three-year-old baby who needs a new diaper. <laughs> I, that was it. And, I, you know, I, I won't go any because I'm sure somebody else is going to talk about it. But that scene just absolutely destroyed me. And, again, that I had to say about the text because that was the progression. Okay. As I was thinking until I saw that scene, I'm like, oh, God, you know, get out the weepy you know, you, you know, <laughs> ring out the, the handkerchief here because I'm bawling like a big baby. And anybody's got kids will ball because that's a letter a dad would write when he's ninety. That's a letter. That's a letter a dad would write anytime you can write it whether you're a twenty year old dad or whether you're a ninety year old dad. That's the letter you want to write because you always feel well. You could have done it better, or you you know. And by the way, the older you get, the more you realize when you're twenty, you're thinking like I'm the perfect guy. I've never done anything wrong in my life. And then you're nine, you're like, oh, my God, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> I have no right to live. What that's am right. I doing well, here? <laughs> but no, that's oh. the scene. That The, the yeah. final scene, reading the letter, just tore me apart. But yeah. again, I had that was like a half an hour after I got that text. So, you know, I, I there's a lot to this movie. And I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to prep you guys cause we haven't done it in a long time. And I thought everybody needs, I, I, there's, there's so many various parts to this movie. And I thought that, you know, I was like, similar to you, Brian, I was like, Oh, I like, I, I love this part here. Oh, I like that part. Oh, that was really nice. And then, you know, it was like, I had several of those and I thought, you know what? I need to kind of prep you all up. So, uh, well, them, well, them going up Mount Sarabachi with the flamethrower in the background. I mean, seriously, that looked like Frodo and Bilbo, you know, <laughs> going up Mount Mordor. You know, it really did. It it was. I'll tell. 
they they did a lot of right died during that scene too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, well, spoiler alert. Um, well, Steve's not here. Bro- Mark, Mark, what was your favorite? Uh, what was your favorite scene in the movie? Oh, no, he's dead. oh, he's oh, he came back. Oh, look, it's back. Um, oh, sorry, that's quite all right. We were just talking about you. One that we touched on, and, and guys have commented on some of the scenes I really like. So I'll go a different direction from a set piece, and I think it's the because a lot of I think it's one. Uh, an outstanding template of which other directors and producers looked at going forward of how to do a good set piece battle for Pacific war is the Tarawa assault. The, the, you know, they get up to the beach, which they nailed that because it's all, it's, it's not a beach. It's basically a seawall. You've got the bunker, the whole look and feel the whole, one of the best quotes, you know, if you're nervous, count your toes, I'll do the mastermind. And, um, <laughs> it, it, that whole setup technically is really well done. But also, you know, I was thinking a little bit of Saving Private Ryan when I was watching this because you could, you could see elements of Saving Private Ryan where, you know, in that case, um, Tom Hanks is telling guys what to do. Um, and, you know, not to get nervous, do your job. And Stryker's doing the same thing. And there's a really neat little scene I really like is when this lieutenant comes over and he's a little nervous. He's trying to tell Stryker what they're going to do. And Stryker just gives him a cigarette. It's a cigarette, sir. He kind of just takes the edge off the lieutenant. And it's not, he's, he's being a very respectful sergeant. He's not denigrating this guy he knows this guy's under a lot of stress everything's gone to shit and he just takes it's this little moment of what a really good nco does for an officer where here sir have a cigarette yeah um oh thank you sergeant and it it's a neat little vignette in this whole bigger picture of this assault on this blockhouse and bunker very complex subtle, very subtle too. yeah and i was really impressed with it but the whole thing was 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 rather well done as a set piece battle um so i while everybody else touched on some of my other favorite scenes i I really got to say as a combat scene that one was well done with that little vignette built in of what a sergeant does for officers i thought that was nicely done yeah great pickup mark yeah there's there are lots of small yet um, noticeable moments in this movie that, you know, and, and, and likewise, I'm like, you know, you, you see in, in a lot of more recent contemporary war movies where, you know, the, the, the battle is, the battle is constant from word go, right? You hit the beach and it's just, it's just, you know, you, you fight until, you know, you go to bed that night, you know, but there were moments in, First, and that's what I I just was really amazed mm-hmm. about this film is is you know you've got guys sitting there drinking coffee <laughs> and the, the battle's going on a couple hundred yards away right and I was like yeah I mean it's wow I just didn't think about that aspect of war you know that yeah you you know two quarter mile whatever back you know people aren't sitting there at the ready they're actually decompressing for a moment and i was like 
it, there was just parts of this movie that showed you aspects of soldier life that made me pause and think, yeah, that's probably far more realistic than what I've seen in other movies where it's just a slog, you know, for, you know, the entire war. Um, yeah, I will say Band of Brothers did a little different, but, um, but it, it was, it was, it was, it was those moments that I think stood mm-hmm. out to me as well. Yeah, thank you, Steve. We were, we are talking about um, favorite scenes, favorite moments in the movie. I know you shared one on text. Yeah. Feel free not to share that now. But no. um, what were your thoughts? Honestly, I actually I think I have to actually go with what uh, Ken had, uh, where they were pinned down by the bunker, where the tank rolled up with mm-hmm. the flamethrower. That that actually is the one I really like the most. Because it's kind of like they're just, well, we're kind of foobard here. <laughs> There's not much we can do. But, it, but you know, but part of it got me where, and I guess maybe that's like why I don't like John Wayne's character. Because he's like, well, just let's have a cigarette and figure out what, what and something will happen. Well, somebody else, you know, again, the New York bargain maker goes out and hustles up a tank. To go save them. And it's kind of, I, I guess that's the thing. It's kind of like everybody seemed to be a hero in this movie, but him is what I started feeling in a way. I, I mean, he just, like, like in a lot of these fights, he just kind of like, like, I'll just sit here. Something else will happen. I don't know. I just, I, again, that was kind of my feel about him in this movie, but that was pretty much one of my favorite scenes was like, you know, the one, you know, the Brooklyn guy, Hey, I'll go, I'll go get this fixed. Next thing you know, he rolls up with a Sherman. <laughs> Maybe they were Republicans. Who knows? <laughs> and, they didn't deal, e- deal. and they didn't even make a deal. They just flamethrowed the place. They're just like, we're not going to hear the talk. We're just going to burn you out. I, yeah, but you know, Steve, that it, it was, it is a great part in the movie. Um, I'll tell you what, when, when they were on Tarawa and they were assaulting that fortified bunker, um, you know, we, you guys had mentioned early in the, um, earlier in the podcast where these battle scenes, you, you had explode. I, 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 one moment I thought somebody had to have had a lot of fun <laughs> pre setting charges and, and yeah. because, because yeah. they, you know, they weren't. There wasn't just a few of them. Do you remember that one scene on Iwo Jima where they were walking the lowlands and there was the the hills up um, above where the artillery was pounding the bluffs up above, and it was just explosion after explosion. And you could you just I mean I just my mind just started racing about my God I wonder what an artilleryman's you know, training is like, how do they, you know, how do they roll that thunder forward and keeping pace with the units and not, you know, getting them caught up in it. And I was just like, I was mesmerized, just full knowing that those charges were preset, but they made it look like that the, Mm -hmm. that the artillery was rolling with them. And I was, I was just, there was so much going on because I kept looking at the, you know, at the, at you know what was going on in the in the in the foreground, and I was looking at what's going on in the background. It was back and forth, and I mean, I felt I was really excited watching all that. And I was, I mean, there was there were several of those moments in the movie, especially like I said, Natarwa, where they're you know they're doing the assault, and it's like, how are they going to you know get this pillbox? And you know, somebody runs up with a 
you know, a flamethrower. And, you know, it's just, um, you know, just you looked at the set creation. You looked at the 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 amount of material they had. You look at, you know, because not a single bit of that was, of course, CGI. But there was a massive amount of tents. There was a massive amount of just vehicles. And it was all for this movie. Yeah. And it was, hey, it Jeff, was yeah. But before you get out of this, you ask us what your favorite, the favorite scene was. You got to tell us about yours. Yeah, what's yours? Because you wouldn't have asked it unless you had one. I, I, I don't. Um, uh-huh. I don't really have one. I don't really have. I, you know, I, I, I the, the ones that stand out to me are the ones I just covered. Um, you know, the when when they when they're doing the beach assault, and you've got just you know gunfire hitting the water, and you've got you know local explosions and you've just got men pouring up there and they get to the seawall and they all just kind of pause for a moment. And there is kind of like that breath. Okay. We're going to let the already do some, some work here, but you know, they get on the porn and they're just like, okay, we need you guys to stop pounding right now because we're getting ready to go in. And it was just, I mean, it was really like, it was like almost like a how to show of, you know, this is what it's going to look like and this is how it's going to go. And there is going to be that pause and action where they are going to say, okay, well, our orders were to go here. And until we get here and know what the orders are from here, where there's not much we can do. We're just going to pass out cigarettes and wait for further action. And I get what Steve's saying. I, I mean, I, 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 I get that. And I, I thought it was an interesting moment where, yeah, the you know the private runs off and finds a, you know, a flame Sherman and and, and brings it back. Um, I did like, you know, I did like the fact that he was talking to them through the phone in the back of the uh, of the Sherman mm-hmm. and and just like you know two o'clock and you know it was just I felt there was so much detail in this movie that a lot of it I I want to go back and rewatch it because I know I missed a lot. I was trying to do a lot of things today. I, I've got my phone and I'm trying to. We're, it was clean house day and I've got the phone and I've got it propped up in every location. But Brian, I want to go back because um, the ending, I told you in the beginning, the mm-hmm. ending caught me off guard. I'll be and, too. I was stuck. And, and I was, I was, I was sitting there and I was actually setting up pandemic for the family. We were going to watch, we we're going to play pandemic this afternoon. And I was set. <laughs> and I, yeah, I know. And I, uh, <laughs> wow. My, Good I game. Thought, it's a great game. It's a fantastic game. It's a great game. game. Yeah. And, uh, Never I, haven't played it. It, I haven't played it with the family, but I thought, you know, if we could win this, you know, maybe we can end the pandemic worldwide. Anyway, um, but I was sitting there and I was setting it up and I was watching the movie and I got to the end, Brian, and, you know, and I'm looking at my timer and I'm like, there's three minutes left in this movie. Mm-hmm. This movie's over, right? I, and and yeah. I know that they're, I know they're getting ready to go raise the flag. So I'm like, well, this movie's over. But I was like, well, okay, I got three minutes. I'm going to pay close. To, I'm just going to pay attention and watch the rest of it out. And by yeah. God, with 30 seconds left to go in that film, uh, if 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 I just didn't have tears streaming down my face, and you know, I it got me. It did. I was not. I was not prepared. You know, there. I was not prepared. I didn't see it coming. I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't prepared for the letter. I wasn't prepared for my reaction to the letter. I wasn't prepared for a lot of stuff that was packed into that three minutes at the end of that film. Again, I, I, I can be a prick, and I can also be a big cupcake. And, boy, that hit the cupcake hard. 
Well, I think if you've got sons too. Yeah. No, you're right, Mark. I mean, if you've got sons, there's it's different. Yeah, you know, Mark, Mark. There's a there's a father there's a father son scene that runs through this entire movie. Yeah. Yeah, there really is. Well, I mean, uh, we talked about it before, but his whole thing with Conway, I mean, he Conway's dad, he adored. And his dad, Conway's dad died. He was the colonel, the general, whatever. Wayne named his kid after that guy. It's right. mentioned in the movie. And then he wants to be, I don't know if he wants to be the brother or he wants to be the father, but he wants to relate to Conway. And he just rejects him at every possible freaking level to fundamentally because he rejected his dad who Wayne thought was the greatest man ever. And, uh, so I don't know what was going on there, but it was father, son, whatever it was, but it was family. It was a family thing. There was a family thing going on there. All right. All right, gentlemen. Um, Let's get back. We'll get back to this. Okay. Sorry for the distraction. Um, all right. No, no, so, no. Um, you got to edit this. I, I don't care. We could do this all night. Yeah. There's, there's, there's about editing here. <laughs> if you're, if you're a monkey, those are your monkeys that I know. we got to deal That's, with. I know. That's, yeah. Hey, at least they're not flinging shit at you. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Was, 20 minutes from now when he comes back to argue. I hope nobody's taking a shit in my bed. Right I kept now. trying to get him to make that, <laughs> that, uh, that, make that like, peace sign behind your head you know or you know he, you know, he didn't do it but <laughs> no, i was working on it. i was trying to make him do it well, I, that's what sustains me in my time of crisis um <laughs> all right um where was i oh yeah all right well well thank you gentlemen um any final thoughts about the movie oh i you know steve i thought about you during this movie because oh. i've been trying to figure out a way to describe the music during this era in some movies and this is the perfect example you know anymore you have a full-on orchestra right but back then i felt and i steve i I thought you might pick this up and or at least will set me right um in my thinking um I, i feel like it's more of like big band um mm-hmm. as as the lead in the soundtrack it's not so much an orchestra because you have a lot of horns on the front end of a lot of that. Um, a lot of and, horns. And, then, and, and, and I felt that's well, not really an orchestra per se, but am I, am I wrong or, or do you agree with that? I mean, I, I felt that the music is what it is. No, I agree. I think the music is, um, it's, it's very much big band style, um, probably from that time. And again, this is uh, late 40s. So yeah, you still had big band stuff going on then. But yes. Uh, like Brian said, a lot of horns. Uh, and that was, I mean, that was pretty much a lot of the music from the 40s. It was a lot of horns, trumpets, tubas, uh, sax. I mean, tons of that stuff. So that was, uh, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I mean the, the music in this was very, um, I, I would say very period. It wasn't something that we would have saw. Um, like, uh, Mark mentioned earlier when we saw like, when you talk like Midway, uh, mm-hmm. it, it was more modern sounding music. This was very period for the time, which, uh, you know, and it fit. So I liked it. I mean, I really did like the music in this movie. Yeah. And that's, that's why I thought of you. I thought, you know, I thought, I thought, you know, I bet Steve really enjoys this. I mean, and, um, now I would 
I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the uh, irrelevant female roles in this movie. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> God. I, I, I just need to make a make a statement. And that is, <laughs> this movie made me appreciate, you know, today we have many fine actresses that come out of, you know, the southern hemisphere from Australia, New Zealand, places like that. Uh, Margot Robbie, for example, you know, Nicole... Uh, Kidman. Kidman. They can come they they come from Australia, but they can blend in and be mistaken for any American. This fit in like a glove, can't pick a, a, a smidgen of accent up. I mean they just perfectly mimic an American accent. And then you have our lead female actor in this movie, who's supposed to be from New Zealand. It sounds like she's from maybe Kansas. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's oh. it it is But terrible. she well, it was a hottie in her day. She was you know, well, she's from Michigan, Ken. Hey, by the way, <laughs> to her credit though, she married Roy Huggins. And she became Mrs. Huggins. And Roy Huggins did Maverick. Oh god. And he did uh mm, I think here he was we involved go. in the Rockford Files. So by God, I love her. <laughs> wow. You know, there, there had, I knew this was going to happen. What? Um, th- that there was going to be some freaking Rockford file connection here, but I, I will tell you this. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 I will, I will tell you this. I, I, she was not blowing my skirt up at all. Actually, uh, I think the one that, uh, John Wayne was about to hook up with, she was a lot hotter. Um, but that, oh, I don't know. Sorry. You know what she reminds me of is one of those. It, I, I when I saw her, I thought, "Oh my God, this is just L.A. Confidential." <laughs> this is, you know, how they would just L.A. Confidential gave you a really good feel for churning the starlets, mm-hmm. and and this is the starlet of 1949, right? And will she turn into something? And if not, there'll be another one. Yep. And it it, it felt like. It felt like L.A. Confidential, the movie, in that sense of, okay, she's the one we're trotting out in a couple of big-budget movies to see if she's going to be the next it girl of that right. period. But, but, but what's weird is they put this scene in there with her, and then they have, let's be real honest, Ken said it was risky. It's a hooker scene. It's a prostitute with a baby at home. No. By the way, the baby's at home alone, and she's at the bar, and, and you're like, how did this oh, get There you the go, movie? judging. There you go, judging. Okay, yeah, we're talking about... <laughs> wait, 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 back up. We're talking about two different people. I think Mark yes. and I were talking about McCoy's no, girlfriend. No, no, I, I no, no, we do. But my point okay. is, then the other female yeah. in the movie, the only other female in the movie... Julie Bishop. It's a hooker. Yeah. It's a hooker, hooker. Woman of the night. Yeah. But it, it was obvious. She goes, sometimes it's... What was she said is... Harder than fighting in a war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she ain't talking about, you know, hanging out the bar, you know, drumming drinks off guys. Sorry. That, oh, that no. was, I don't know how that got in the movie. Seriously, how did that get in a movie that the U.S. I, Marine Corps is like, you God know bless this movie? It didn't even fit. Uh, I will say, sidebar, that was a... That, I think they tried to show the soft side of John Wayne. Uh, yeah. yeah, Sergeant Striker. But it, it dragged on too long. Well, you could have done it some other way too, right? Well, right. but I think part of I think part of what they are trying to do with that scene too is showing is that he wasn't like going to be the stereotype of I'm going to just take advantage of her. 
Right. You know, because he basically like, here's money for food and milk and whatever. So it's, I, I, yeah, I mean, did that scene drag out? Yeah, it did. But I, I understand why they put it in there. I don't know. As a, as a, as a modern parent who, you know, very changed over the parent my parents were, well, it's probably the best bad choice. Uh, parents, <laughs> uh, uh, my mom's a saint, just for record. Uh, but, uh, is like that baby was home in the crib when she's out at the bar. It was bad enough that she went out to get booze and the kids in there with a freaking Marine. Well, you know, you gotta, anyway, you got to remember. I was, I was amazed, but you got to remember something. You know, there, there is. I think some of us forget because we didn't grow up back then. There was no welfare. There was no. I, it, well, and I don't know what it was in Australia, but I mean, you know, if you were the, uh, if you were the wife and had a kid, and dad was the breadwinner, and he went off to war and died. There was no, there, you were done. I mean. She didn't say he died. She said he wasn't around. Well, I'm assuming. Well, or, I mean, same situation. But this is a period of where there was no social support system at all. You didn't no, have, I, I, yeah, you didn't have social security. You didn't have anything. I mean, I know the stories that my grandparents told me, you know, when they were growing up during the Depression. It's like, there was nothing. I mean, you went to soup no, I, kitchens. I, there was nothing I, I, out there. I get it, but yeah. my whole point is this is not a totally prettified movie. Oh yeah, no, it's the the, there was some stuff the in there. The Marines yeah. put their seal on yes. this. Yes, this and movie. even to this day, when Hollywood is making a movie, and like, again, let's use Top Gun as an example. You know, there's people with checklists and phones back to the Pentagon sitting on that set. If you want to, you want you, use our carrier. You want to use our planes. You, you will not do this, and you will not do that. You, you, you will behave in such a fashion. You, you couldn't this, do it today. I was really surprised to see that scene. I'm not surprised to see the scene because I think it actually portrayed the Marines in a very good light. Because he was like, um, yeah, here, here's the money. I mean, here's more money. You went out to buy booze. You actually bought milk and all this other stuff. And he even gave her more money. Before he left. Steve, it's a great, it's a, it's it, a great scene. Yeah, and he didn't take advantage of her. It's not like, all right, here's all the money. Plus, I'm going to bang you too. He left with nothing. But, I mean, it was like he just gave her all of his money, and then he's done. So it actually but, made the Marines look good. So I could see yeah, why they I, put I, that I, in. I think it's a scene you would not see in a movie today. You might have seen it in a '70s movie. You know who likes to show all the ugly things and the warts, but I, I again I, I, to the point. It's a great scene, and it's a real scene. It's oh, a yeah. very real scene. It is. Oh, we yeah. just saw, we we just saw a similar scene in 1917. Yeah, yeah, similar. Well, yeah, it. it but it's amazing it got put in the movie in 1949, as Ken said, with the U.S. freaking Marine stamp of approval on it. Yeah. I'm shocked. I, I don't know. It doesn't. That doesn't shock me. Because it actually makes them look good. Well, yeah, I I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Steve on this. I I think it was in an effort to say that this is what this is how Marines do it. They find they see the situation, they recognize it, and th- and this is the choice that they make, which yeah. you know was to not it's you a, know they take care of hookers. 
No, kids. it's. I mean, basically, it's not like you. <laughs> Sorry. It, yeah. It's Moving not, on. Yeah. Get control, Jeff. All right. All right. I don't know. <laughs> I walk away for one moment. God. Hey, by, by the way, <laughs> actors, Richard Jekyll. How many oh, yeah. of movies you seen that guy in? And he always looked like he was like twenty five. Yeah. The dude yeah. died at seventy, but what, I mean, every like time I seen him in a movie, five. he was jacked. I mean. Well, twenty. It was like twenty years later. He did the Dirty Dozen. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. And then, I mean, like twenty years after that, he did Return of the Dirty Dozen, and he looked just as good in that as yeah, he did the guy. Well, actually, I read something. Like he was like he was like Dick Clark. He just never aged. But add to that, Dick Clark was not like a bodybuilder type. Richard Jekyll was just jacked, and he was always that way. He was in Spencer for hire. I mean, until he died. I mean, I think he got melanoma. Which, by the way. It's a uh, fucking plague, you know, because uh, Sheila's in that business. It's awful. We've lost kids that we know to it. Uh, that guy was just totally jacked. I mean, but he looked like he was at oldest, 45, 50. Yeah. Yeah, he, he looked great throughout his life. All right, gentlemen, I think, uh, thank you for the spirited discussion. Um <laughs> uh, about a lot uh, of cutting vic- going on, victimless crimes and whatnot. All right, <laughs> gentlemen, it is now time for brother. What you drinking? All right, Brian, what say you, sir? Well, you, you guys know my wife, Sheila, right? I've met her, yeah, yeah, a few yeah. times. I've met her, yes, and she's 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 pretty tough, good-hearted though, right? Do you agree with that? Uh, you know, uh, from what I know, yes, yeah. yes. There are times, you know, like I, like you know, I, I would, di- I would there differ because she tracked me down. The <laughs> well, right. that's, there, 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 there is that. There are I mean, I would like, say, I would say she's a body of titanium and a heart of gold. Would you <laughs> say that she would be like a sergeant to a platoon? I would say that. To your I platoon. would say you to are her one man. Platoon yeah, or hell. yeah, I, but yeah. yes. Yeah, well, you, you are her she, sergeant striker. You know what she brought me tonight? Uh, Caffeine free diet coke. No, she bought me a couple of bottles of sake. (sighs) So I'm enjoying this guy's sake. It's a little soiled. Nice. So there you go. Sake. Thank you, Brian. I'm glad Sheila's looking out for you. All right. She is. She's tough, but she loves me. Yeah. Trying to kill you. Just like Sergeant Striker. The insurance. Yes. You know, that's that's probably true words right there. All right. Uh, Ken. Welcome to the show. What uh, what's, what are you having tonight? I'm continuing my coronavirus quest to empty all the open whiskey bottles on my shelf. Okay. So tonight I was consuming some Four Roses bourbon nice. and nice. Diet Coke. Nice. Now, for, for the record, that, that's, that's oh. not hobo juice, right, Mark? Diet. It's not hobo well, juice. But he, oh, he, no. You, it might be. Putting no. Diet Wait. Coke you put... Thank you, Jeff. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth. You put Diet Coke in Four Roses? Yeah, Four Roses is. It's a mid-grain. Uh, it's a good mixer. Uh, Mid-shelf. Uh, is Steve still with the Alstadian oh, So, I, was I, it I, hobo I, juice I, before? Is it hobo uh, juice after? Four Roses is not no, hobo any, juice. Anytime Ken takes a good bottle of bourbon and pours Diet Coke over it, it becomes hobo juice. <laughs> God, beam. Yes, I understand. 
Four roses. Well, I've used up my Jim Beam, and I've used up my my you know, Evan Williams. I mean, what, I, I'm trying to keep it real. Go to a liquor store. Just oh, drink it straight. I live in Indiana. Yeah, drink it straight. You got you got to call in advance and drive. Oh, I know. You, know, I was Mark, you, you, you got to still around every corner down there where you're at. What the yeah. hell? I mean, I mean, we, we, we have to go- actually. We have government here. We you can't. Can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, we chase the revenuers off. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. All I know for you, when you want four rows, you folks. sort of put on your ninja outfit, sneak down to the warehouse, and <laughs> kick in the back door. That's right. Damn straight, Skippy. All right, well, thanks, Ken, for ruining that bourbon. All right. <laughs> Mark, what, what, did, what did you bring to the podcast tonight? Well, I am drinking bourbon, and I am drinking it the way God meant it to be drank. Um, straight, glass, yeah. neat, in a glass. Um, and I'm drinking Old Forester 1920. Oh, you found it. Yes. Yep. Yep. And um, I have two of the other Old Forester line. Um, and this is, uh, as Steve recommended, both you and Steve recommended it. It It is an outstanding Old Forester. It is dark, little chocolatey, kind of a, I would almost call it kind of Porter-esque with a nice... Oh. Um, chocolate and oak, a little bit of fruit. Wonderful sipping bourbon. If you really want to enjoy a good line of bourbon, I think we, you and I and Steve would all agree that the Old Forester Signature line, um, 1920, 1897, their various dates and the Statesman, you can't go wrong on any of them. But the 1920 at 115 proof is it's a thing to behold. It, it really is. It really is. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we, we all jumped on that bandwagon. So mm-hmm. it's, um, and, and, and it's, yeah, quite tasty. All quite right. Tasty. Well, now Steve is back. Steve, we're, um, uh, so, uh, just to catch you up, we got some 1920, we got some four roses and Brian has a couple bottles of sake. Well, actually I'm also drinking 1920. Ah, this was not pre-planned, folks. I didn't call Mark ahead and say, hey, do the 1920. He went out and bought it on his own. And um, But it is, uh, like Mark said, it is, uh, it, it's outstanding. This is probably my favorite bourbon of all time. I, it, I mean, there's others that are really good, but, I mean, if it was something um, for the price – which is, it's just right around my trunk point. I'm like, ugh, because I can probably get it for about 54 or 55 bucks a bottle. But man, it's good. It It's, it is, I think, probably the best bourbon out there right now. Polander out. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's 60. You know, sixty-ish bottle dollars a bottle. It's it's pricey, but yeah. Um, but it, you know what? I mean, it's something. That, I mean, it's not your everyday pour. So it's not, and I'm trying to save mm-hmm. it. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's not an everyday pour because I mean, no. well, especially the way I do a pour. Uh, <laughs> and Steve, you do it like a man. That is that's for sure. Right. I will that's, give you credit there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's my pour, gentlemen, right there. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Oh, I don't. Lord. I don't fuck around. You don't mess around. Nah, that's no, you know what not. because uh, I drink today because tomorrow I might be dead. So I enjoy my whiskey and my bourbon, 
And, um, but no, that one, I, I don't pour that. Uh, yeah, that, that's probably going to be my last pour for this month. Uh, oh. next month yeah. is another day because I've got other bourbons to sample from. That's why you have to have a collection. <laughs> Four days away. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Jesus Christ. But no, it's, it, it's, I think it's probably one of my favorite bourbons out there right now. Um, I would buy this over anything. Um, if somebody said, uh, I'll give you two bottles of Blanton's over this, I'm like, eh, maybe not. I, I would take this over Blanton's any day. That's just but my two bottle, but, but two bottles but of Blanton's? two bottles. Well, if I could sell the other one to buy a bottle of oh, Mason 20, there you oh, go. Oh, God. That's oh, there. Right. That's what I'm saying. He's like that New York dude, always yeah, work know, at the angle. Yeah. Yeah. He is giving it the high hat. You yeah. know, this is Saki was hard-earned, Steve. I mean, it might be a good trade. Just saying. All right. People gave their lives for it. All right. All that, right. That's my All report, right. Jeff. Thank you, Steve. Well, Well done, sir. Gentlemen, I'm bringing something different to the podcast tonight because, well, um, I've been told that I need to um, I need to clean out the refrigerator. So um, I I I have also an extensive beer collection that um, I I parlayed for quite a while to go with my bourbon. So um, I was informed today. Uh, that, well, I need to start making a dent in that or it's going to sit and get warm in the garage. So I Ooh. said, well, no, that won't happen. So um, I, I'm now on my second um, Dragon's Milk. Oh! So, ha! Uh, I remember uh, that. Yep. Yeah, um, bourbon Barrel oh, Aged that. Stout. Ladies and gentlemen, brace Let's yourselves. See. What's the ABV on that monster? Eleven percent ABV. <laughs> you you almost screwed that up. You I, did, I did. I ABV. did. I did. I did. Did you yeah. say That's, this was Boris the Crusher? You know, Boris the. Oh, I'll tell you what. I ran across oh. Boris the Crusher not long ago, and I I looked at it and I said to myself. Yeah, I'm not going to buy that again. Uh, not because it wasn't good. It was just it's just it's just pricey. And I mean, yeah. you could you could almost get a damn bottle of of, of bourbon for the price. Uh, but by God, that Boris the Crusher. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I remember Boris and Doris and and uh, you know Chuck anyway. Norris. Chuck Norris. Oh, speaking of that, we'll get to that later. But um, but anyway, so I I the, if you I you guys have had the Dragon's Milk, haven't you? Yes, on rare occasion. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's t- it is. I'll tell you what. I mean, you know me and my dark beers. It, it, you know, the dear lovely wife went to went up to Michigan and she bought this and she bought the uh, white, um, their their white variety. Um, the what is that called? Something the, um, the uh, milk the dragon's milk white is what it's called. I have not had one yet. We're, we've got it sitting there, and I, 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 again, I went on my bourbon craze. I'm like, oh, well, I'll get to it as soon as I can, and well, it just sits there. And today I was told, well, it's no longer going to just sit there; it's going to sit someplace else. So I said, well, I'd better start. So anyway, so I'm a couple into it, and uh, you know what? It's uh, it's it's it is it is great. By the way, it is great. So if you get a chance to to pick some up um, from New Holland. 
Um, it, it is well, it's, it's well worth the pickup. I think if you like, if you like dark beers and you like bourbon, um, and I gotta say, it's not, I mean, you know, uh, Mark, you know how the Kentucky bourbon ale is. Yep. It, it, it doesn't hit you like that. Um, or even close to like that. So, because sometimes some of that bourbon ale, it, it, you can almost, you almost wonder, did they, did they, it, it becomes sickly sweet on the back end. Yeah, it, it, it does. Um, anyway, so that's what I'm drinking. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for sharing what you're drinking. All right, Ken, it is now time for the top 10 of 1949. I don't think we've ever done this year, have we? Uh, no, this is way back. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to rattle off most of these because... They're so ancient and out of our context. Uh, <laughs> it, it just is going to be lost on most of us. But I'll start out. Uh, we had a production of Little Women, a classic. Wow. At least we've heard of it. Yeah, women coming of age movie. Uh, had a movie, uh, Red Skelton comedy. Red Skelton, Who's Your Boy? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Esther Vincent's Williams. Indian. With uh, Esther Williams uh, appeared in Neptune's Daughter. Of course, Esther Williams made movies where she swam around in swimming pools a lot. Uh, this also featured a uh, person who's you know, appeared in another one of our movies, uh, Ricardo Montalban. Didn't, didn't she marry either Montalban or Fernando Lamas, I think? Uh, she married Fernando Lamas, yes. Yeah. Well, Red Skelton's from Vincennes, folks, just so you know. I know that. Yep. He, he, Red Skelton yeah. was... He, he like the late forties, early fifties. He, uh, I think Dean and Jerry were making movies back then. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's you know Lucy was making movies back then. All the, there's a lot of classic comedies. Bob Hope would crank yep. out movies. Well, back then. I yep. mean, for you and me, we grew up on the Red Skelton show. I think right. Red Skelton had a regular TV show. Yeah, it yeah. was very good. Sketch, sketch show it was good. Uh, at number eight, Mr. Belvedere goes to college. It's a franchise. They just Clifton Webb, these, I'll bet. Right? Yeah, they cranked out these Mr. Belvedere stories. Uh, at number seven, uh, you know, speaking of World War II, as we've commented on the podcast before, uh, Jimmy Stewart left a promising Hollywood career, went off and became a bomber group commander and won many decorations for his bravery. I think he came back to appear in the Stratton story about a baseball, baseball. pitcher. Well, you know it. Okay. At yeah. number six, this movie, The Sands of Iwo Jima. It did, oh. very, it did very well. Uh, yeah. Not only did it get nominated for Academy Awards, it made a bundle of money. Now, of course, back in 1949, you know, today when a movie is like the top movie we're talking about you know makes a billion dollars a box office or you know some six figure nine figure amount back here the top movie in 1949 had a box office of nine million so nine those are those are 1949 dollars a dollar was really worth something in 49 <laughs> At number five, another movie that looked deep into these uh, war issues, uh, an aftermath, and that was I Was a Male War Bride. 
with Cary Grant. A comedy. Uh, yes, a movie called Pinky, which I never saw, uh, with Ethel Barrymore, but it's a study of race relations in America. I never saw it. Did well, but sort of came and went. And number three, another World War II movie, which actually is a good movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it's solid. And that would be Battleground. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Aldo, is Aldo Ray in that? Uh, Battleground is Van Johnson, John Hodiak, Ricardo Montalban, mm -hmm. and George Murphy. It's about oh, sorry. Uh, 101st Airborne and the Battle of the Bulge. Yep. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's in there or not, but he's not on my little summary. At number two, uh, it's a biography. Jolson sings again, which brings, brings us back to what we were uh, talking about at the start. In 1949, they were not that far off from the silent era and when talkies first broke through. And of course, Jolson was in the first talkie and uh number one uh one of the first wave of that big string of sword and sandal biblical epics that you know they were very big in the uh 50s and 50s. tailing into the 60s and that would be samson and delilah <laughs> who the hell was, was that, that? A, was that a steve reeves movie no that no. was okay Hedy Lamar and Victor That's Headley. Mature. Mature. Oh my That's God. Headley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff, for getting that reference. No, that's not as blatant as that. <laughs> I heard it. I was like, I, my but, mind went straight to it. That, that is the top ten. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, most of them I'd never oh heard God. of. And don't have any Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Ken, for running through that real quick. Uh, the obligatory uh, top ten. And, you know, I mean, but, but you know what? I, I, you know, there, there. I'm glad we mentioned some things that were people are familiar with. You know, Bob Hope and the other things that were going on during that time. And so, it, it, at least for some of the younger members, you know, they they may remember that. Um, it. it <laughs> That look uh, off that that look off camera. Yeah, that was a look. That was. Um, anyway, Mark's right. Um, but I, I <laughs> and in three, two, one. Um, uh, referencing things like Bob Hope and you know you know Lucille Ball and things like that, it, it it really grounds this in a time period that we can all say, okay, well, this is what was going on during that time period. But I'll be honest. I, I I didn't know what was going on in 1949, but when you started to define some of those other pieces, it was like, okay, I get that. I know what was going on. I know what was you know kind of popular and in vogue during that time. So anyway, but thank you. All right, gentlemen, I think we're going to at this point um, go into we're gonna we're gonna skip the checklist because well reasons. What? Uh, yeah, I know and. Um, you know, one show only. Our listeners this week have been very, um, very active. Uh, and we just posted First Blood. Uh, matter of fact, um, I, I've been uh, very overwhelmed this week with stuff. So I, I got that up a little later than normal. However, 
Uh, Brian, as you pointed out, listeners loved the uh, the fact that we reviewed that. Um, it was um, it was well received as far as uh, the review of it. Um, now nobody's really had time to speak too much of it, uh, but you know we had lamented uh, last week that you know we thought we had done it. In fact, we hadn't done it. So uh, Brian Denny he had passed away. So it was a good time to do it, and. Um, I want to get into a listener post from the week. So um, uh, Jeff Tennant um, said that um, that he had recently um, listened to our Zombie Land um, review because, um, well, he saw Zombie Land double tap, and um, uh, well, he's. He's, you know, the, the second one, like a lot of them, um, the sequels are always kind of a little bit of a letdown. So it sounds like not too, um, not too, not too high on the uh, on the movie. What, have you guys seen Zombieland two yet? Yes, I have decent, not. Decent flick, Ken. Uh, derivative and <laughs> okay. uh, unoriginal. Unoriginal. Okay. Or, yeah, too close to the original. Yeah. Cash it in. Cash it in. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody had mentioned, somebody had said to me, and it might have been one of you four, um, they should have followed up with this a lot closer to when the original had come out. Yeah. And had they done that, it, it may have come off a little bit better. But I haven't, I had, you know, not, not a lot of buzz about this one here. So, um, uh, Cameron Freed has, um, uh, you know, watched First Blood, really enjoyed the review. Um, his favorite uh, Stallone movie is um, uh, it, it is Rocky, but he has not seen Copland. And, and Mark, I'm glad you brought up Copland because that's that's a little gem of a movie. Yeah, and 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 it may be it may be Stallone's one of his best performances. So if um, if if anybody out there is 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 not has not seen Copland, I would I would go out and check that out. Have um, you guys seen Fist, Mr. Stallone? I yeah. beg your pardon. It's yeah, what is porn? It wasn't his porn movie, Mike. Oh, Mark, dear. it was Here it was go. Fist. You know, no, seriously, he's no. playing Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, very good movie. No, it's actually a very good movie. I thought it was good. I really yeah. did. Yeah. And it yeah, kind of made I, you understand all the stuff going on with the Teamsters back then, too. Well, yeah. anything's got to be better than The Irishman about Jimmy Hoffa. I uh, haven't seen The Irishman uh, because I kind of detest everybody involved with it, but that's just me. Um, I, well, you know what? We may have to have a, we may have to talk about that. I, I did see The Irishman. Um, what'd you was, think? Um, I, 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 well, I, 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 it was long. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not C- and the CGI was not good. The de aging was not good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, yeah, well, we'll have to get into it later. Yeah, all right. All right, all right. Ladies, um, and, ladies and gentlemen, I pulled up the Beecham files just so you know. Copland episode one hundred and nine. Jeez, episode one hundred and nine. One hundred and nine. That was on April twenty ninth, twenty fourteen. Jesus Christ! I was in my, I was younger then. <laughs> I'll just let's say it that. Damn dog wants to go outside. Hang on a second. <laughs> Jesus 
the podcast that never ends. Yeah. God, I didn't know. Mutt's got a dog too. I mean, oh, Jesus. Yeah. He's got a he's got a boxer. Not just any dog. He's got a boxer. You know, I've discarded kids, dogs. Well, died. You know, I don't <laughs> want a t- fucking turtle. You got I mean, a she, wife. She and I are looking at each other like, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> which which one of us is out of here first? <laughs> For what reason? <laughs> yeah, whatever. I just but, want you guys to know that we gave that movie an 8.5, all of us. It was wow. a great wow. movie. Yeah. yeah I got I got to watch that. Yeah. But it's, Steve, I, th- I thought Fist was a good movie. But it's a forgotten fucking movie. It is a forgotten yeah. movie. Nobody even knows he did it. No, it's it's. I, I, I saw, gotta look it up. I, I saw he did, it. He did confused, it. It gets confused about one where is an arm wrestler. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he arm over the top, over the top. Uh, Kid, he did fist back in the eighties. Yeah, mid to early. Yeah. Um. All right. Where? Sorry, there's forces working against me tonight. Where was I? Oh yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Shit. Where were okay. we? We were talking about Fist. And you all know we were <laughs> just getting ready to pass by yeah, Over the Top, another terrible Stallone movie. Um, That's a great movie. Oh, jeez. Oh, my what? God. Is that, the, is that the right arm wrestling movie? Yes. Yep. Right up right up there with Cobra. Well, I just, again, watched, you know, I just watched that the other day. It's Cobra? I, it's, it's, it's underappreciated. <laughs> oh, is, is, is it, are you are you under, are you under her spell too, Steve? <laughs> Just like Mark Gastineau was, uh, and she threatened to ruin Stallone's career during that movie. By the way, was she oh, banging Gastineau? Yeah, she married, married to him. She dude. married him. I didn't know she that. Ruined him, but she married him. Oh my I'll god! Tell you, this is this goes back, but when I started law school. This again. This that was all in the past when I was in law school. Shit, I, I was in law school then, Ken. We were sitting in the lobby, and somehow somebody brought up Gastineau and Brigitte Nielsen, and we're going like, oh, "I wonder if anything. What? Well, they, what? What happened to them?" And then, like a week later, the professor says, "We're we're studying, uh, you know, property division in a divorce. I want you to read the case of Gastineau versus no, Brigitte Nielsen." <laughs> Oh, I didn't know oh she was God. married to him. I had no idea. Oh, oh yeah, she, she ruined a trail yeah. of men, and, and honestly, she, you know, Cobra damn near ruined, you know, Stallone, but he somehow survived it and discarded her. Thank God. Next thing I know, she's on some goddamn, you know, TV show about rehab with the guy that has a TikTok clock who's a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, his well, name is Flavor Flav. You, 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 <laughs> you cannot make this shit up, folks. <laughs> Have you seen pictures of her? Ooh. Oof. Well, the yeah. other God, bad God part damn, about, Mark, she's 80. I know. The other sad part about Brigitte Nielsen is before she got, the way she got into Hollywood to ruin the lives of all those men. <laughs> and it's all, it's which all she the did. fault of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep. Red, Red Sonja. <laughs> Okay. I mean, there I'm, was some some good looking, you know, Aryan women back those days. Oh. All right. I can't think of her I name. Mean, she was. He had to talk about her off. No, 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 no. I he had an affair with am her. I, am I not on? I am on. All right. <laughs> you are. And I. Try to grab the wheel from somebody. I mean, I she played in the Wolves movie, but hey, you know. 
Why? I mean, she had an affair with Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Shit, what she the was hell? You guys over. Did, damn it! <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah, you just fit right back in here, Slover. Yes, I you. did. All right. Anyway, if we can drive this off a uh, cliff, we will. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, Mark's been lighting the fire under me, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah. You know, Jeff, I blame your children. I, you know, I. I <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So let's see here. Let's get back to our listener. Uh, thanks, guys. And uh, other listener, um, other listener uh, comments. That we, uh, Dr. Beecham was, um, he's been, is that my hope you, re- uh, has been on my hope you review list for the last five years. And I hope you run it someday soon. Cheers. And that was, uh, referencing Sands of, uh, Iwo Jima. And, and in fact, um, Frank, well, you just heard it. So, uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, likewise, Darwin was wondering how in the world we had not possibly reviewed First Blood um, before, um, well, this time in 2020. And that's a good question. There's some others, Darwin, that we figured out that um, we also hadn't responded to or re- re- reviewed yet. And we're wondering how the hell we hadn't reviewed those those as well. And uh, Steve also thought we had reviewed one this last week. And uh, thank you, Dr. Beecham, for setting the record straight on that great Steven Seagal flick. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Um, you know, when when you start talking about Steven Seagal, people immediately start talking about Chuck Norris. And aside from the Expendables, I don't think we've done a Chuck Norris film, have we? Uh, no, I don't think no, we have so. not. We have not no. done a Chuck Norris film. And you that, haven't done Lone Wolf McQuaid. Do you haven't done or Invasion America? The entire well, Chuck Lee Marvin Norris. at least. We haven't done the entire Chuck Norris catalog. So, gentlemen, uh, once we get... <sighs> hey, Cisco S- 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 Ebert actually, I think, liked Lone Wolf McQuaid when they were both live. Well, it's also got the guy who wrote uh, A Boy and His Dog and directed it. I can't think he was oh, named out. Right. Shit. He was, a, he was his buddy. I know, Jeff. You, put, you actually put on text well, an organized list of movies to watch. <laughs> So just add that to the end of that. I, I, add, a, he, add a Chuck Norris movie. You might as well put the octagon on there if we're going to do Chuck Norris. Oh, well, I, I, that's up for debate. I, I, I will entertain <laughs> suggestions from, well, you all and the masses. And, you know. yeah, what, what Chuck Norris movie is the epitome of his craft? Oh, my God. I, yeah, there's Was there a Vietnam movie where he went and saved some guys? Missing in action. Missing in action. Not, actually, I actually kind of like that missing was, in action there's like a four or five of them i mean they, two yeah no, i like that i think there are three Wasn't that one of his yeah, first three yeah and then there's delta force there's another Ooh. i just i just watched that today it's horrible it's horrible which one <laughs> delta force the first oh one it's oh apparently steve you haven't seen evasion america yet oh i've seen that one too that's oh, yeah. that's pretty horrific too well, we'll have to get that on. It's like no. the, it's like the second season of of Jack Ryan on uh, of uh, Netflix <laughs> or wherever the fuck it is, where they go and invade the fucking you know capital in, with four guys and you know, yeah, whatever. But it's terrible. It's the same kind of stuff. Um, yeah. All right. All right. Well, gentlemen, that's uh, that's it for uh, listener responses this week. So, all right. And with that, let's uh, let's close out this show. All right. <laughs> Well, let's let's kick this off. Closing thoughts. Let's go with Ken. I'll be kind of brief. I sort of touched on it before. Uh, this is 
one of the precursors of a long string of World War II dramas that filled my youth. Many of them were filmed in black and white, even deep into the 50s and even the 60s. Um, there's a lot of good ones in there, and you know some that were kind of formulaic. This one here, as we said before, set up a lot of the tropes, a lot of the plot twists and all that followed and were borrowed from in a lot of other later movies. The acting mostly isn't that hot by normal, by my modern standards. Uh, but it was good. We're you know, surprisingly good in over many spots. And a, it's like a flashlight and turn on. You'd be, but then a lot of there's some corny stuff going on, some cheesy stuff, some surprising stuff. Uh, the sets were great. The use of, you know, uh, period background, you know, battlefield shots and the way they integrated it to give the movie some real depth and realism at times, way above what a lot of other similar movies were able to do, I thought was very good. And as I said at the very beginning, this fed my strange desire to see dazzle camouflage on naval vessels, which they ought to bring... The U.S. Navy should paint at least one good-sized warship in dazzle camouflage. Just haze gray. <laughs> it's just boring. But because of that, I'm going to give this movie a solid seven. No Logan Lucky, but a solid seven. All right. Thank you. Well, Logan Lucky, right. y'all, it'll go down in history. You know. It's a goddamn good movie. Seventy years from now, people Great will say... Great movie. Screw you, buddy. <laughs> just, just saying. All right. All right. Thank you, Ken. Um, all right. Let's jump over to... Um, let's just let's jump over to uh, Steve. Steve, what say you? I will just say this. It is not my... <laughs> it, yeah, it's not my favorite uh, John Wayne World War II movie. Um, there's a few others that I do like more than this. I'm going to give this one like a six and a half. Okay. I don't know. It, it, it was like his portrayal was so wooden. I actually did not like his character in this movie. And maybe that's what kind of tainted me about it. But don't get me wrong. I think I like the movie. I I'm not crazy about John Wayne's portrayal in it, but um, I'll say six and a half. Now, if we want to talk about the fighting Seabees, that's another one we can have a discussion about. But well, there you go. we may get that on here. Yeah. All right. No, I think that's great. All right. 6.5. Right. Polander, All right. out. All right. Let's go uh, over to uh, my good and dear friend. Let's, uh, let's give it to Mark. All right. Um, you know, we've touched on it. I think this movie is the precursor for a lot of what became standard genre, um, to the ver to the point of trope for much of what followed in, um, more movies, especially small unit platoon squad type movies. Uh, 
And, and that's not taking anything away from this movie. It, it, this is groundbreaking in the sense of people saw it and said, hey, this formula works. Let's use it. Um, and to that regard and to the regard of how it was filmed, some really nice incorporation of actual combat footage. Um, the the story is very linear. The actors are stock character type act. Stock with the characters are stock characters, but I do think the actors, especially Forrest Tucker, um, Agar, Wayne, they do as much as they can with what they've got. And there's as we touched, there's some pathos. There's some underlying backstory if you kind of look at it that you can you can say okay there's there's a little more going on here than just a straight up war story. I do think it gets a little bogged down with the, the love story, um, but that's kind of one of those required things you had in this period. You had to have that, and 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 it's fine. It's just um, I will say that thank God for Amazon and the ten second advance because <clears throat> um, I kind of blew through some of that. Um, but all in all, it, it, it's a very good war movie. Um, and it's a good movie about leading men and men in battle. Uh, and I think everybody kind of used this and others like it for their jumping off point of how to do it. And I think in the historical accuracy area, you can, because I did say earlier, it's a love letter to the Marines, you know, they lent them Marines and equipment and also footage and actual people who were at EWO. Um, so all those things, I think, help make the movie that much stronger um, in the sense of the, the action. So all in all, I think it it deserves um, people paying a little more attention to it than it's gotten. If you look beyond just, okay, it's a 1940s, 1950s, rah-rah combat movie, and kind of look at the structure if you're interested in film. So I'm going to give it a 7.5 because of that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. And let's pass this over to Ryan. I uh, I usually keep this short, so I'm going to meander just a little bit, because God knows I never meander. Uh, first off, Colonel David Shoup was in this movie, for the record. Some of you, Mark, Mark probably knows this, because he's probably all over it. But... Uh, he was from Battleground, Indiana. Battleground, Indiana, which I think you know just north of Lafayette for a certain reason. Yep. Graduated DePaul University. Uh, was a Medal of Honor winner at Tarawa as a colonel. Became a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was a commandant of the Marines. He's in this movie, and he was a colonel still when he's in this movie. So a really, really interesting guy. Uh, for you guys who are historians, to check out a little deeper. Uh, and kind of became a controversial figure during the Vietnam War, by the way. Uh, another actor I love in the movie is Marty Milner. Uh, Mark, again, another guy I think who you kind of ran across, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he went to Fort Ord with David Jansen, Clint Eastwood, and Richard Long. Now, Richard Long, you may not remember, but he was in the, uh, the uh, oh my gosh, uh, Big Valley. Uh, so kind of an interesting guy. Uh, so I think I covered the actors that I wanted to, and the, and the people I wanted to address. Um, Jeff, again, 
it seems like the last two weeks I've, I've talked about movies being important movies. Yep. Um, I, I think this is an important movie. It is, I, I think, probably within the 10 years after the war, maybe more, it was a movie that everyone looked to to kind of define you know, the Marines' role. Um, with that, oh, shit. We can't forget Forrest Tucker, and I won't go into Forrest Tucker, but everybody needs to research <laughs> Forrest Tucker a lot, because he was a big man, so to speak. So let's go with that. But anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to give this movie an eight. Okay. All considered. Well, Brian, uh, thank you very much. I, um, I now want to just pull up my computer and look up <laughs> Forrest Tucker. I don't know what I'm going to find, but um, I but anyway. What he's saying is Google human tripod. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what I was afraid He of. was a special man. Alright. Well, thank you, Brian. I'm going to keep mine fairly short and sweet as well. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed um, most of this movie. I would say 80... I just, I, I got the roles of the females. I understood some of the deeper story, and I liked some of it. But I also felt like it went just a little long at times. There were parts that I could have done without. But it didn't really take that away from me. I really enjoyed the journey that we took with the group, looking at just all aspects of the the life of uh, of a Marine as they're going in and out of the training. Um, and... Um, and 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 I liked some of the deeper messages and these and the story arcs that they cover throughout it. I think they did a pretty good job with it. I really liked uh, the the little the little character developments that they do. And at the end, yeah, I mean, this is nineteen late nineteen forties. I mean, you know, somebody died. Forty nine. Forty nine. Yeah, they they die. And and when they when they die, um, you know, it it it's you know they you know it is that you know slump over and. Uh, and they're done, and they're over with, and there's there's no protractedness to it. So, um, you know, and at the end, you 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 know something's coming. Um, you just don't know what. Um, you know they're going to the top, and um, you know, we, you know it's a story about men um, getting to this point, and 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 we say goodbye to some, and um, and, and and we see historic moments um, at the end. I really liked the the military. Stuff. I mean, it, they, Mark, you said it, they interspliced that throughout just almost seamlessly. I mean, it added, uh, and, and then they built in their own military side of it. And I thought that was just fantastic. I thought they did a great job with that, um, you know, given what they had back in that time period. So, um, and to me, like I said, I enjoyed 80% of the movie, and therefore I am going to give this um, an eight. Wow. So, just like Brian, I really enjoyed this. Um, I didn't feel like I lost anything. I didn't, it was a waste of my time or anything. I really enjoyed this movie. So, um, to the point that I, I think I might want to watch it again with at least my oldest. I think he might get a kick out of it. He's into World War II. So, um, and just for him to see some of the things we just talked about. So, all right, gentlemen, that's it. That brings us to our close. So, so we're going to sign off and, um, before we do that, I just want to thank the listeners again. Um, I hope you enjoyed our last podcast. Um, we're 
we, we, we're not quite averaging one a week, but hopefully you're enjoying this little uptick in our uh, frequency. We appreciate you listening. Um, keep up the downloads. Um, I double checked those this last week, gentlemen, and, um, and I just, I, I was kind of surprised with how many downloads we get in a month now. So I remember back in the day when Steve and I would look at the numbers and be like, Oh, you know, Hey, a nice little bump up. And, you know, now we're in, you know, an area that I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. So um, thank you all again for supporting. I'm growing the podcast. Share this with a friend if you think they might enjoy it. And, um, and, and, and we appreciate everything that you guys do. Uh, definitely, you know, as you can see, we're very, very engaged online. And, you know, share your stuff, share your thoughts, give us uh, your, what you're watching. And sometimes we might even tie that into uh, a podcast in the future. So, you know, Jeff, there's a lot of bored people out there that don't appreciate your genius. Um, and uh, can't. And can't. There's, there's also a lot of people out there that wonder why the hell there's not a monkey doing this instead of me. So, um, <laughs> anyway, a chimp. A chimp. A chimp. Speaking of chimp, we need to get every which way you can on this podcast. All right. Oh, okay, well, by the way, that's for the record, Steve. He made his most damn money doing those movies. For the yep. record, yep. seriously, I I love those movies. Oh my oh, gosh! Oh, <laughs> as big a redneck as I am, I I was almost embarrassed when I went to see those movies. Oh God, those are classics. Those are great movies. I, I, I honestly, I think I have to kill. I'm, I'm gonna have to kill my. Except, feet. except, except. William Smith, <laughs> Bill, Bill Smith was in those movies. Oh yeah, you know, William Smith, the Mitch, the man. He's a legend. Yeah. All right, close us right. out, Jeff. You are yeah. Right. Make it in. All right, all right, gentlemen. Let's sign this puppy off. All right. Good night. Farewell, and get me the hell off this podcast. Is my good and dear friend. Ken, saddle up, running. 10,000 podcasters on this internet, and I gotta draw Muncie. <laughs> I, I can arrange somebody else for you. Um, all right. Thank you, Ken. Also saying so long, farewell, and Alvita Zane is my good and dear friend, Mark. I got a great future for the next couple of hours. Over. Partway through this podcast, I, I started to feel like uh, the guys on Tarawa that night waiting for the attack, and all I just kept saying to myself was, get down, stay down. You have your orders. Don't move. <laughs> I, I could I could tell at times that you were you were sitting there, you know, paralyzed. For paralyzed with fear. Yes. Thank you, Mark. Mm-hmm. All right. And also, I was going to say lastly, but I got four on here now. Uh, third is my good and dear friend, Brian. Don't get religious on me, Miller. Monty! Monty! <laughs> Monty! Sarge! Anybody going out there for him? Anybody? No, Bueller. Bueller. Uh, I'm sure the Japanese don't know my name. All right. And also, lastly, and by the grace of God, saying goodnight, so long, farewell, adieu, and Alvita Zane is my good and dear friend, Steve. You know, my natural dislike for your 
for you is turning into a great hatred, Michaels. <laughs> you know, Muncie, I'll do the masterminding around here. <laughs> you know, it's a sad day when we may have to look to you to save us. <laughs> but I think you might be right, Michaels. <laughs> I may, I may actually have to defer to you. <laughs> oh, wow! I, you have I, that, I, on, Steve. I, are you running the board on this? Because save I, that, you uh, can play I mean, that. I know. All right, all right, listeners. Um, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We will be back on uh, very soon. We've got our lineup set up, and hopefully, we'll uh, we'll be back this next week. Unless uh, you know they start opening uh, the country up, and then who knows? You know, we might be thrust back <laughs> in. And yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you all again, and I will see you next week. Ciao. 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 I'll be back. Are you not entertained? Damn your eyes. Too late. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. Someday this war's gonna end. In case I don't see ya. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. There's to us and what we were. And what will be. And what will be. And I liked some of it, but I also felt like it went just a little long at times. Um, what are you doing? <laughs> Zoe! Zoe! <laughs> I don't think he has a child named Zoe, so I'm going with dog. Yeah. Yo, thank God. I thought he was yelling at me. I thought I was like pissing on a floor or something. And you guys used to give me shit because I was like killing a fucking spider. Steve, I never gave you shit. I loved everything you did. <laughs> I know. Was that a was that a dog? Yeah. A was dog. that the dog? I don't know what the hell she's doing. I, I get a spider that comes across. You guys are giving me shit. He he's got like kids. I got, I, I got kids, a dog, kids, fire dogs, and wives, booze, and yeah. Anyway, all right, um, all right, yeah. In three, two, one.